Oh, that was wonderful. Um, I'm curious. Now, uh, uh, you don't have to raise your hand if you don't, but uh, adults, was that convicting? Like, could, can you say all five of those verses from memory? Uh, you know, it's, it's something when um, the kids kind of convict us like that, right? Like, oh my goodness. <laughs> so uh, good job, kids. And um, that, that really was a sweet thing. Thank you, Katie and Amy Beth, for investing that time in them. If you have your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter 15. This sermon is titled, God Cut a Covenant. The main idea is that the Lord graciously meets Abram where Abram was afraid. And he promises him a son. And he promises that Abram's descendants will own the land. And he cuts a special covenant with Abram. What does that have to do with us today? Well, here's where I'm going. Today, the Lord helps us with our greatest fears. He counts us righteous by our faith in Jesus, and he adopts us into Abram's lineage by the blood of Jesus. This is a very important chapter, Genesis 15. In fact, it may be the most important chapter in the book of Genesis. It it certainly is up there with one of the most important in the entire Old Testament. In fact, when we say the Old Testament, we are also saying the Old Covenant, and that comes from Genesis 15. So Genesis 15 literally defines the division of the Bible between Old Testament and New Testament. What's interesting, though, is compared to the battles and the victories and and almost Abram being a lot like Jason Bourne last week in Genesis 14 that Pastor Wesley did such a good job on. This week, the chapter can feel a little slow. I I mean, it's just God and Abram one night looking at the stars and talking. And then the next afternoon... And what happens then? What happens in this conversation, though, is incredibly important, and it reveals the depth of God's love for us. You see, Abram is afraid, and he's been walking with God for a while, and he's at a point now where he trusts God enough that he's going to voice his fears to God. And we're going to see how this almighty, all-powerful God responds with both patience and love to Abram. Now, this made me think a little bit when I'm thinking about fears this week. Uh, you can raise your hand at this. How many of you like, at some point, watching scary movies? You, you know, you're like, it's kind of fun to watch a scary movie every now and again and be afraid. Some people are a little sheepish, like, uh, if, if you didn't notice, Andrew kind of slipped his hand up at the end real quick and smiled. But, uh, it, why do we like sometimes watching a scary movie? What is it about uh, watching a scary movie that's a little bit entertaining? Some, of, some people, like my wife, she won't ever watch them. I, I mean, just, just nope, I don't want to be afraid. I don't want the drama. I don't want to deal with it, right? I can remember as a kid, and I was young, so it tells you a little bit about my parents, but it's okay. I love them. Um, I watched that original Jurassic Park and, and if you remember the scene where the, the little kids are running away from the velociraptor and they're trying to hide in the kitchen and there's one little girl 
trying to hide inside of a kitchen cabinet and she can't get the door to come down. And then that raptor starts charging at her. And, you know, I'm thinking, this is it. I'm going to watch a little girl get eaten. This is going to be terrible. And then, bam, the velociraptor slams into some metal. He was looking at a reflection. And the little girl scampers out and at least lives for a few more minutes in the movie. You know, I mean, I'm not going to spoil it for you. But um, why, why do we watch movies like this? You know, something, as I thought about it, I think when our heart starts racing, it comes down at the end of the movie. You see, a movie is fake. It's entertaining because at the end, the credits have happened. You can turn off the, the thing. You can, you can get rid of it and, and move on with your life. It's very different in real life. You see, real fear isn't like a movie. You can't just pause it. Right? If you've ever um, watched a scary movie that just gets to be too much, sometimes what you'll do is you just pause it. You can show that movie, I, I'm pausing you, I don't want to watch right now. Real life isn't like that. Our hearts race and they ache. Our minds run and hide. Real fear makes our days dark and keeps us up at night. Real fear can both derail us and box us in. Today, we're going to go with Abram on a night when he was afraid. And my hope is that you are encouraged to utterly rely on Jesus Christ, who shed his blood to keep the very promises made here in Genesis 15 to Abram thousands of years ago. And then I hope that you are encouraged to press forward from faith with obedience to God. If you have your Bibles and you're able, I invite you to stand with me as we start in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. We stand as just a sign of respect to God's word. God says this, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. 
As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. God, thank you for your word. This text initially, it feels very ancient, God. And it is. This happened thousands of years ago. But Lord, I ask that you send the Holy Spirit right now to help us feel and understand this passage anew today in 2023. God, we need uh, your help not only understanding this passage, but applying it rightly to our lives. Would you send the Spirit to help us make much of Jesus and understand this passage? I ask that please in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, our passage starts off this morning with after these things. And I'm calling the first section Abram's first fear where he tells God, I need a son. Now last week, Pastor Wesley did an excellent job walking us through what these things were. And so I'm not going to go back over his previous sermon. Thankfully, in today's day and age, if you missed it, you can go online and listen to it there on the website. But there was a lot that happened, right? There was a battle between five kings and four kings, and the king of Sodom was defeated, and Lot got taken prisoner. That was Abram's nephew, and Abram had to go rescue him. And God strengthened Abram, and with 318 men, they had a surprise attack, and they were able to defeat the foreign kings and bring Lot back home. And then if you remember, the king of Sodom had offered Abram the spoils of victory, uh, money, you know, from, from saving the people. Now, I think there were strings attached to that offer from the wicked king of Sodom. Uh, you know, take the money, Abram, the king offered, but doing so, I think, would have implied that Abram would have always owed that king a favor. Something like a mercenary would be what Abram would have been agreeing to. So unlike Lot, who had lifted up his eyes and had seen only worldly wealth and had moved closer to Sodom, Abram rejected King Sodom's offer. And then he demonstrated his faith by tithing of everything through that mysterious figure, Melchizedek, the priest. So that was the these things that had occurred. And now God appears to Abram and says, fear not, 
Abram, I am your shield, your, very, or your reward shall be very great. My favorite movies is Indiana Jones and the uh, Last Crusade. And if you remember, the knight at the end of the movie looks to Indiana and says, he chose wisely. And that is exactly what God is saying to Abram here. Abram's afraid, and God is essentially saying, you chose wisely. You chose a better reward than what King Sodom offered. You chose better protection than any other allegiance could provide. God was Abram's protection. God and the things of God were Abram's reward. Now, as an aside, I love that when we're afraid, God says, you know what you need? You need me. When, when we're afraid, we need almighty God. And that's exactly what God does here. He says, Abram, you chose me and you chose well. Look with me next in verse two. You would think that we could hear from Abram. Thank you, God. Praise you, Lord. How wonderful. But no, this is what we hear. We hear, oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. You have given me no offspring. God has been merciful to Abram, and Abram from that mercy feels like he can voice what's really going on to God in a prayer. Now, when I first read this, I thought, whew, Abram, are you being irreverent? Can you pray like that to God? You know, what's going on here that, that he's, he's, it sounds like he's being in even a little mouthy with God? Well, I think Abram is actually modeling what is said clearly to do in Scripture when we are afraid. In Psalm chapter 55, verse 22, David teaches this. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Now, have you ever been in church before, and you've heard some pastor say, hey, when you're afraid, just cast your cares on the Lord. And you go, yeah, that sounds good. And then you get the next time you're afraid, and like, well, the pastor told me to cast my cares on the Lord. I know how to cast a fishing line, but I don't know how to cast my fears on the Lord. How exactly do you do that? I think Abram models exactly how to cast your cares on the Lord. He's being reverent, but he's also being vulnerable. He's giving voice to his fears to God in prayer. We know it was reverent because he recognized in the prayer that God is the one who provides children, which is true. And we know it was vulnerable because here is a very wealthy, very successful man being honest about his fears before God. God, it's as if Abram says, I'm afraid I'm going to die and not have a son and all this blessing is going to go to waste. Now we can learn from Abram here. We can learn that prayer should not be a burden. It should be where we put our burdens at the feet of God. It shouldn't be where we feel like we've got to put on a mask as if, you know, we perform for God. You know, I've heard it a number of ways. I'm not saying it's all wrong, but 
Have you ever heard a prayer where, where somebody thinks if they include enough these and thous, then finally God will listen to them? You know, we don't, we don't got to put on a mask. It's, it's actually where the mask should come off. You should be able to be most vulnerable with God because he already knows you better than you know yourself. Abram told God what he was afraid of. And then listen to the mercy of God. Skip down with me to verse 4. Your very own son shall be your heir. Number the stars, God said. And then it says, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. I love the, the grace of God to be patient, to be merciful, and to be wise as he responds to Abram's vulnerable prayer. Abram, in his mind, says, well, I'm about 85 years old. My wife's about 75. We've not had a son. I'm probably going to die soon. I mean, he's an 85-year-old charging off into battle. Uh, you know, he, he's concerned about maybe these foreign kings coming back for revenge someday. And he's thinking, I'm, I'm going to die, and all of my wealth is going to go to a servant. It's all going to come to nothing. Now, God had made a promise. He had promised that Abram would become a great nation. And now, God is going to make a very particular promise. Abram, you're not just going to become a great nation, but you're going to have a biological son. When it says your very own son, it's, it's almost a little bit crude in the Bible, but it, it says, no, 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 from yourself, you're going to have a son. And then God maximizes this promise it's, it's as if maybe the conversation has been happening in a tent and Abram says, all right, or God says to Abram, come on outside. And King Abram comes outside and God says, look up the stars. Abram looks up the stars. God says, okay, start counting those stars. And we don't know how long God let him count stars uh, without the, you know, uh, light pollution of a modern urban city probably could see a lot of stars like you go out in the country today. I love that the Bible has the little word then in verse 5. Then God said to Abram. It implies some passage of time between when God said, count the stars, and when God interrupted him to give him the promise, so shall your offspring be. It's as if Almighty God knew that Abram needed some time just to sit out there, quiet, look up the stars, and start counting. What if 30 minutes went by, or an hour? What if Abram got to 1,000, or 2,000, or, or did one of those, oh man, I lost my place, okay, one, two, three, you know, we don't know. But God, in his mercy and in his sovereignty, left Abram alone there for a little while to just count stars. And then God comes back and says, so shall your offspring be. God knows us pretty well and knows when we need to calm down and just from faith do what he's called us to do until that blessing comes. And God reiterates this incredible promise from a biological son that Abram would be a great nation with many, many, many offspring, countless, innumerable, more than the stars in the sky. And then something incredible happens. And it's so subtle. Look with me in verse 6. It says, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. 
This is the most gospel-rich verse in all of Genesis and maybe one of the most gospel-rich verses in the Old Testament. Abram does something fairly simple here and God does something awe-inspiring. Abram has heard God's promise. He's counted the stars. He's heard God reiterate the promise and then he believes God. Now, suppose we wanted to ask, um, well, what exactly was Abram thinking as he decided to trust God? That would be pretty cool, right? If we could go back in time, sit with Abram, say, Abram, what were you thinking during these moments? Well, here's what I love about the Bible. We can ask that question and get the answer. The Holy Spirit revealed to the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul wrote it, to the church at Rome. If you want to see this, go in your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. I'm going to pick up reading in verse 18, where we can know exactly what was going on in Abram as he decided to trust God. Romans chapter 4, verse 18 says, In hope, Abram believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Isn't this marvelous? Abram counts some stars. He considers God's promise. And then he considered his aging body. He considered the fact that his wife was barren. And he chose in that moment to trust God rather than continue in unbelief. And this faith, this this trust in the Lord or relying on him, it is the road by which God brought Abram into right standing with himself. Here's the bottom line. We need to learn from Abram and we need to trust in Jesus Christ alone for that right standing with God. Paul continued to help us see why Genesis 15 verse 6 is so crucial for us to understand. This is what he says picking up in Romans chapter 4 verse 23. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. What is Paul talking about? In a word, the gospel. Jesus came from heaven, fully God, fully man, born of a virgin, and lived a perfect life. Then he achieved a perfect righteousness, something no other human being has ever done or ever will do. And then he chose to pay the penalty for the sins of God's chosen people by dying on the cross. He did that on a Friday. We call it Good Friday because it was good for us, even though it cost Jesus his life. Then on the following Sunday morning, Jesus rose bodily from the dead, more alive than we are right now. And because of Jesus' achievement, we can be made right with God. Now, if you didn't know this, naturally, 
You're not right with God. I'm not right with God. Nobody is right with God because of a big problem called sin. Our sin makes us an enemy of God deserving his wrath and curse. And no amount of good deeds can fix the situation. So many times people have in their mind that when they die, there's going to be these two scales, good deeds on one side, bad deeds on the other. And as long as the good deeds outweigh the bad deeds, they'll be okay. But that's not from the Bible. The Bible lays a standard. It is perfect righteousness. And as the kids reminded us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what's the solution? Well, the solution is Jesus. And the way that Jesus's righteousness becomes credited to me is by faith. It's exactly what happened to Abram so many years ago. When I put my faith in Jesus, that he died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead, God says, I'm going to credit you with the righteousness of my son so that you are right with me. Now, this isn't an acted righteousness. In other words, it's not something we do on our own. It is a credited, or sometimes you'll hear imputed righteousness. It is something Jesus did for us. His righteousness credited to us. You can almost imagine God taking uh, a shirt and putting it on you. You are now credited with my son's righteousness. So it's not a... It's not about money, but maybe money can also help us understand. We understand credit, though I, I'll confess, uh, I did intro to financial accounting in college and got a C minus. I deserved a big fat F, but the professor didn't want to see me anymore, so she gave me a C minus and said, move on, Jared. Uh, debits and credits were always confusing to me. Uh, but in this case, it's more than money, but imagine you owe an unpayable amount of money. I don't know, you, you've racked up credit card de debt to where we're talking like eight, nine, ten figures. And in that moment, somebody with a much larger account links their account to yours and says, whatever he needs, he can take out of mine. That's something like what happens when we are linked to Jesus by faith. His righteousness is credited to us, an unlimited and perfect righteousness. And that's how we are made right with God. Now, if you're hearing me, there's um, some questions that can come up at this point. Uh, we, we might call them objections. Uh, one of them goes like this. Okay, so, so you're saying, Pastor, that the way that I'm made right with God, the way that righteousness is credited to me is by faith. So are you saying that faith is that work I need to do in order for God to say, okay, finally, you've done the work I told you to. Now here's your reward. Here's my son's righteousness. We, we could word it this way. Is faith a work we do in order for God to reward us with salvation? The answer is no, not at all. Not even one little dot close to being true. Paul makes this clear again later by quoting Genesis 15, 6. He does it this time to the church in Galatia. They were having some problems because some people had come and said, okay, you're Christians, but if you want to be really good Christians, you've got to get circumcised. And if you don't, I'm not sure you're really saved. That was the issue going on in the church at Galatia. And this is what Paul says. He says, does God who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? 
Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Faith is not a work we do to be right with God. In fact, Paul elsewhere will make it clear that even our faith, that trust that we put in Jesus Christ, it's a gift from God. This is what he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. What is the gift? Faith is the gift. So from Genesis 15 with Abram one night with God all the way to Ephesians 2, salvation is a gift when we place our faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's like resting in the arms of the Savior. So is faith a work? Nope. It is trusting in Jesus. It is not a work. Another objection might go something like this. So are you saying all I've got to do is rest in Jesus and then I can live however I want? No. Again, I love the Bible. I love that God moves Paul's heart in both Romans and Galatians to deal with the first question. Is faith a work? Apostle Paul says absolutely not. Paul, or God rather also moves James' heart to deal with the second question from Genesis 15, 6. In James chapter 2, he's going to deal with this question of, well, well then the what, what are good works? Are they, are they even necessary at all? I mean, can I just live however I want? Listen to what James says about Abraham. You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So also faith apart from works is dead. You see, James fully believes that you are only saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. But he knows that that faith causes something to happen. That when we're vitally connected, when we are uh, born again in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of us and he gets to work changing us, producing in us good works. We might say it all comes down to some salvation math. Uh, I think it's going to be up here in just a second, but uh, one version would look at it like this. It would say, faith plus works equals salvation. And that is absolutely not what the Bible teaches. It's not you trust Jesus and you do the best you can and maybe someday when you die, he'll say, all right, you were good enough. You did pretty good. Come on in. Instead, it's this. Faith equals salvation plus works. You see, it's not also, well, all I got to do is trust Jesus and I can live however I want. No, true faith not only is that road by which God saves us and credits us with the righteousness of Jesus, true faith is the road by which the Spirit of God comes to live inside us and He changes us. He will produce in us good works. So the good works are never in order to be saved, but because by God's grace we are saved. All of this 
from a night when Abram was afraid and he was vulnerable with God and God looked at him and made him a promise and Abram believed and God credited that belief as righteousness. Wow. But it gets even better. Abram is still afraid. In fact, his second fear is not just, God, I need a son. Now his fear is, God, I need some land. Look with me in verse 8 of Genesis 15. Again, poor Abram is so afraid. He says, oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? When God promised to make Abram into a great nation, there were kind of two parts to being a nation that he was promising to Abram, right? One, to be a nation, you got to have a people. And two, you got to have a place. You got to have people and a place. Or as the author Stephen Dempster has titled his book, Dominion, or the land and the place, and Dynasty, the people. So Abram was first afraid that he couldn't have countless descendants without a son. And God clarified and said, you're going to have a biological son. Doesn't matter how old you are, I'm God. And Abram believes the Lord. Now, Abram's afraid that he won't possess the land. The Canaanites are here. The Amorites are here. How can Abram know that he's going to own the land? Again, God knows us so well. He does something here that is incredibly wise. Just like he had Abram go outside and count the stars for a little while, God says, all right, Abram, I can see you're afraid. You, you get up next morning and you go and you start uh, collecting some animals. I'm going to give you some specifics. They got to be three years old. You got to get a cow. You got to get a goat. You got to get all these things. Um, and, and you do that. And, I mean, this would have taken several hours, right, to find just the right animals at just the right age, uh, to bring them to a spot to cut, you know, the, the bigger animals in half and then put, you know, one half on this rock and uh, the other half kind of arranged on this rock. And um, this took Abram basically all day to, to get this done. And then, you know, he's sitting there, it's done. And, and, you know, vultures start coming down and try to eat the carcass. He's got to chase them off. I don't know if he's, you know, waving his hands or beating them with a stick. I don't know. But he had a day where he's basically just doing simple things with his hands from faith. He, he didn't know why God is having him do this. But God told him to do it. And he's doing it. And I love this. If your life is dominated by fear and you don't want it to be, you need to go to God with your fears and you need to expect a season of waiting. And during that time, you're going to just obey until God brings the blessing. Very, very common throughout the history of Christianity for Christians to lay their fears at God, but the blessing does not immediately come. There's this season of waiting, of just doing the things God has revealed you, to you to do. The, the, the things that objectively said, this is what it looks like to obey me in his word. And then the blessing will come. But God gets very specific about his promise to Abram. Look with me in verse 13. He says to Abram that his descendants will be afflicted for 400 years. We know that at the end of Genesis the people of Israel will move to Egypt to avoid a famine. 
and they will get stuck in Egypt for about 430 years. And then God says in verse 14 of Genesis 15, I will bring judgment on the nation. And we know that God's going to raise up Moses. And through Moses, he's going to send 10 plagues or 10 plague judgments on Egypt and her gods. God says in verse 14, Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. We know that by the end, when the Israelites leave Egypt, the Egyptians are so terrified of the Israelites that literally they pay them in gold and silver just to leave. And so the Israelites came out quite wealthy. In verse 15 of Genesis 15, God promised, You shall be buried in a good old age. We know that Abram lived to be 175 years old, and his epitaph, as it were, said in Genesis 25, 8, Abraham died in a good old age, an old man and full of years. And then in verse 16, God promised, they shall come back here. Abraham is in the land of Canaan. We know that after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, Abram's descendants indeed, under the leadership of Joshua, came right back and possessed the land God promised. So so what was God doing? Abram's afraid. How am I going to know I'm going to possess it? God starts revealing particular things that are going to happen on the way to God fulfilling his promise. What is God doing? He's giving Abraham something like those mile markers on the side of the interstate. You've probably driven past them a bunch of times. Uh, They're the little green signs. It'll just say mile and it'll have a number on it. If you don't know, that's tracking the number of miles you've been on that road. For instance, I-10 in the state of Florida gets well over 300 in the state. And you can know then if you are at mile, say, 100 and your exit is at exit 50, there are 50 miles to go from where you are to your exit. So God is giving Abram mile markers to track the progress of God fulfilling his promise. What's this going to do? Well, imagine the faith boost when Abram does live a long, happy life and dies at a good old age. If, if you're uh, Isaac or Jacob and you've grown up hearing of your dad or your grandpa's stories of what God promised him, and then it happens just as God promised Your your faith is lifted. I can trust this God. He is fulfilling his promise. Or or what happens when those plague judgments start happening? Well, the Israelite who can look at faith back to Genesis 15, 14 knows God is beginning to fulfill his promise. You see, as these things occurred, the Israelites would see that God was being faithful to his promise. But then God goes beyond all this with a beautiful and a bizarre scene, right? Genesis 15, verse 7, frankly, to us with modern ears, it's just bizarre. There's some, maybe a a rock here with some dead animal carcasses, you know, the blood and entrails and all that stuff here. And then there's a rock here with, you know, some more animal carcasses, the blood and the entrails. Have you ever, you know, seen roadkill? Well, there they are right there. And, and uh, then, you know, it gets starting to get dark and a smoking fire pot passes between these. And unless you're from the ancient Near East, you're kind of shaking your head like, what? What in the world just happened? Well, 
Verse 18 tells us, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Now, we've seen covenants before. We saw the covenant with Noah. Remember, God gave the rainbow the sign of the covenant that he would never flood the earth again. And at that time, we defined a covenant this way. A covenant is a formal relationship with promises and commands, rewards and consequences. This one that he makes with Abram is a little unique. This covenant, first off, has animal carcasses and a smoking fire pot. Well, let's start with a smoking fire pot. In the Old Testament, it's common for smoke and fire to represent God. Think about Sinai, right? God's going to be up on the mountain and there's going to be smoke and fire. And that represents Almighty God up there on Mount Sinai. Think about in the tabernacle when it is filled with smoke and the glory of God. Again, smoke, fire represent Almighty God. So as, as kind of odd as it is, the smoke and the fire, I think the fire symbolizing God's holiness, the smoke symbolizing that the holy God puts a little bit of a veil between him and sinful man, Almighty God is appearing here in a unique way before Abram. But the animal carcasses requires us to know something of how these covenants were made in the ancient Near East. Now, in the, your Bible, in uh, verse 18, where it says, and God made a covenant with Abram, the Hebrew word there is karat. It, it almost sounds like karate, but just take the E off the end. And it means to cut. So if you went out to chop down a tree, you would karat the tree. If you were, you know cutting off somebody's head. You would do some carotting. Um, but if you were cutting a covenant, you would also do the cutting of the animals. The symbolism is powerful. It, it is saying, I'm going to keep my promise. And if I fail to do so, you can do to me what's been done to these animals. It was taking such a serious oath on oneself that everybody knew you were going to keep your promise because your life depended on it. We see it, for instance, in Jeremiah chapter 34, verse 18. There, God is calling out some people who made a covenant but did not keep it. And listen to what he says. God says, The men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and passed between its parts. So this is a very serious covenant, right? It's not just like kids spitting in their hands and shaking. I mean, this is like, if I fail to keep this, I'm going to die. And here's what's incredible. Normally, in the agreement, two people would go between the pieces. But in this case, only one person goes between the pieces and the other just watches. In this covenant, God alone goes between the pieces. This is God saying, Abram, you want to know how you're going to get the land? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it all. I'm going to accomplish it. Even if I have to die, I'm going to keep my promise to take you and your family and give you a land to live with me forever. And that's exactly what God did. God came to earth and he walked that path of blood 
to keep his promise to claim a people for himself forever. Abram just watched. There, there were no consequences here. There were no stipulations. It was just God promising to deliver on the basis of God himself. And Ray Vanderland has summarized what happened that late afternoon thousands of years ago so wonderfully. He says, when God made covenant with Abraham, he promised to keep both sides of the agreement. If this covenant is broken, Abraham, for whatever reason, for my unfaithfulness or yours, I will pay the price, said God. If you or your descendants for whom you are making this covenant fail to keep it, I will pay the price in blood. And at that moment, Almighty God pronounced the death sentence on his son, Jesus. What is this saying? This is saying that when God sent Jesus to be born of a virgin... When God allowed Jesus to be raised in the house of Mary and Joseph, to grow up in the knowledge and fear of the Lord, to one day lay down his life for the sins of God's people, that God was meticulously keeping a covenant he had made with Abram back in Genesis chapter 15. Jesus willingly submitted himself to brutal death on the cross, allowing his body to be cut, as it were, and his life to be drained because God never fails to keep his promise. He's that good. Because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice, we can now be adopted into God's family. We can be counted right with God. We can be considered children of Abram. One day we will inherit the land that Abram was promised, but only on a new heavens and new earth when God comes down to live with us out of the new Jerusalem and Jesus reigns over his eternal kingdom. Abram's second fear was, but God, how am I going to know that I'm going to possess the land? And God cut a covenant with Abram declaring that God would die to keep his promise. And God did die. Jesus died on the cross and fulfilled this promise to claim a people for God and a place forever. So what do you do with this? Well, some of you may have been around church for a while. You may have even been raised going to church, but you've never personally made a decision to step and put your faith in Jesus Christ. No amount of going to church can save you. No amount of uh, paying tithes and offerings can save you. Just like Abram back then, what saves you is that belief or that trust in Jesus Christ. That's when his righteousness is credited to you. I'm going to pray here shortly and give you an opportunity to turn to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now, we started this message with Abram's fears, and many of us can relate, right? Some of you have wondered, what's going to happen after I'm gone? What legacy am I going to leave? Other of us are just wondering how we're going to make ends meet, how we're going to feed mouths and, 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 you know, take care of our possessions. You see, being afraid for family and possessions is natural. What do we do with that natural fear? One bit of encouragement I got this week happened almost imperceptibly in verse 12. Just before God appeared to Abram and the, the smoking fire pot passed between the pieces, it said that dreadful fear came upon Abram. Now follow the logic of this for just a minute. 
Abram is afraid. And so God appears to him and makes him more afraid to help him not be afraid. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. You see, God knows that in order to displace lesser fears, he's got to give us a taste of what we really should fear, and that is himself. He is both the great reward, the protection, and the one that we should fear. He's the one we love, we desire, and the one we revere as almighty. And as Abraham revered God, his fears of these other things gave way before God's holiness. That means for us, in the words of Elizabeth Elliot, sometimes fear does not subside and one must do it afraid. If you wait your whole life to step out until you're not afraid, you're probably never going to trust the Lord. If, if you wait your whole life to do that next step of obedience until you're not afraid, you're probably never going to obey. But if you understand what I'm saying, that there is a God in heaven who's worth both loving and being afraid of, you'll have an inner strength and motivation from God to step out. What am I talking about? Well, if you're a Christian, maybe from faith you need to get baptized. You need to publicly declare that Jesus is your Savior. Maybe from faith you need to join this church as a member and begin using the gifts God has given you to serve others at this church. Maybe from faith you need to obey God and give him 10% of your income as a tithe, just like Abram did in Genesis 14. Maybe from faith, you need to obey your parents, kids, as you grow up. Maybe from faith, you need to commit to prioritizing time with God. Let the uh, Romans road be that conviction to spend more time in God's word. Maybe from faith, you need to pray with that kind of reverent vulnerability that Abram did, giving voice to your fears and then trusting God and moving forward. In Jesus Christ, you are counted righteous. I love these verses to close with. This is Matthew eleven twenty eight, and I think it's how Jesus described belief. He said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Think of faith as resting in the arms of God by believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Do you need to rest in Jesus today? Let's pray. God, I know I need to rest in you again. I know there are fears I've had, worries, anxieties, things that have kept me up at night. I know you're good, and, and I, I believe in you, Jesus, and there are times that, sadly, those fears seem to take up my whole windshield, and it's all I can think about. I pray for me and for anyone who can relate to this story of an old man who's afraid one night, would you help us to cast our cares upon you, to, to pray to you reverently, but vulnerably. I pray right now that you would just move in this congregation and help people lay those fears at your feet. If that's you, begin just praying right now. Tell God what you're afraid of.
God, there may be somebody here who is not sure whether or not they're a Christian. And, and I ask first, I guess, that you make them a little bit afraid, not of, you know, things to do with this earth, but of you and of eternity. Um, and then would you show them your love in Jesus Christ to where they want to trust you? Hey, if you're here this morning and you've never taken that step of faith in Jesus Christ, uh, with all heads bowed, all eyes closed, just look up at me and wave your hand, and that way I'll, I'll be able to see you and pray for you. You say, you know, I, I've never taken that step, and, and I would like a pastor to pray for me. Just look up at me for just a minute if that's you. I see those eyes. I see those eyes. God, touch these, please, right now. Hey, if that's you, salvation just likes honestly telling God that you're sorry for your sins and honestly asking Jesus to forgive you and to be your Lord and Savior. If you mean it, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If that's you and you pray that prayer this morning, then please come find me after the service just so I can encourage you. Now, I want to also pray, especially for those who are just under a lot of different stresses or fears right now. So, um, again, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you say, Pastor, I am under a lot of pressure and stress. There's a lot of things that are crowding my mind to be afraid. Would you just look up at me and raise your hand so I can pray for you? Say, I'm under, I see those. Yep, I see that hand. Yep, I see that hand. Anybody else say, please pray for me. I'm under a lot of stress and fear. Okay. Well, Father God, please, by your grace and your power, touch these who have asked for this prayer and, and give them the, the strength from heaven to, to cast their cares on you and to move forward in faith, even as they wait for the blessing, Lord. I pray that you keep Satan away from them. I pray that they'd be able to distinguish between a heavenly fear and an earthly fear and that they would revere you most. And I pray that they would find you sweet and strong. Jesus, you are so good. You keep every promise you make. Be with these who've asked for this special prayer, please. And be with all of us this week, God. Uh, we need you. We are a scared people, Lord. But you help us overcome our fears. Help us to worship you most and to move forward in faith. And ask these things, Jesus, please, in your name. Amen. I'm going to, uh, at this time, invite uh, Kyle to come up, and we will then close this service. Amen. Thank you for that, Pastor.